Hello and welcome to a series of short podcasts titled Regulation and Reputation, Two Sides of the Same Coin. These podcasts are being released as part of Osborne Clark's 2023 Disputes Week, a series of webinars, videos and podcasts which take a pragmatic and commercial look at current disputes issues facing companies and their in-house legal teams. My name is Henry Fox and I'm a commercial disputes lawyer here at Osborne Clark with a particular focus on media and information related disputes and my work in includes advising clients on reputation and crisis related issues. In each session of this series, I'll be joined by a different guest and we'll take a look at some of the different contexts in which the worlds of regulatory disputes and reputational issues collide. And we'll discuss how clients who are caught up in regulatory matters can take steps to protect their reputations. In this session, I'm joined by Mary Lawrence. Mary is head of our regulatory disputes team here at Osborne Clark and also leads our health and safety practice. Mary, thanks for joining me. Before we get into our discussion, can you give us an overview of what your work involves? Yeah, um, morning, Henry. Um, As you say, I head up our health and safety team. Uh, There's two sort of real sides to that. Firstly, we support businesses in the event that they're involved in um, a health and safety incident, often a a serious incident, um, where they are subject to an investigation by a regulatory authority, the police, the HSC or others, um, and are possibly subject to a criminal uh, investigation. And then the other side is an advisory support uh, side, so often helping businesses work out how not to get in that position um, and how to deal with some of the more complicated areas uh, in health and safety. Well, if ever there was an area in which reputational issues um, can arise, um, I think this would be it. Um, Is that your experience in practice? Uh, And without going into your own matters, um, have there been some high profile examples in recent years? Yeah, absolutely. Reputation is always at the forefront um, of the things that we are thinking about, um, particularly after a serious incident and the investigations that we've just talked about. Uh, In those investigations, we are tending to find ourselves in a scenario where in a workplace environment, someone's been injured, often very seriously. Uh, In the worst case, they have died Um, and it could involve uh, an employee. A contractor or a member of the public um, and that of course is going to generate quite a lot of media interest. I think from a reputational perspective what is uh, really challenging with these scenarios and we call them crisis scenarios is that the story gets picked up often in lifetime. Social media is often the place where It starts um, and of course, therefore, one always has speculation, accuracy uh, issues, Um, but we do uh, sometimes have regulatory authorities putting out formal comments. We've had scenarios where a local MP will get involved or others. And what we're used to doing is having to navigate a large number of issues, um, which are both legal operational and of course all link up with that reputational piece. The, there, there are other angles uh, which we think about, for instance, uh, group company structures, you've got your parent company asking you questions, you've got your investors, you've got your customers, it's just all happening at the same time and that is really challenging. So I suppose um, not to talk about, as you say, uh, examples that I have specifically been involved in, but that people listening will be familiar with. Um, the, the first one 
uh, is the Grenfell Tower incident. Um, and people will have seen and continue seeing that media coverage and the, the speculation, the different parts of the, the story, um, and also have started to see the impact that has um, on the, in that case, in the, on the building industry, um, on investors and, and developers. Um, a, a most recent one is probably the Brixton Academy uh, crushing nightclub crushing incident, where again, you know, that story ran for quite a while. Uh, we've got others like the Troyden, Troyden tram crash um, and the Alton Towers incident. So I think probably people listening to this will, even if they haven't recognised it before, realise that there's nearly always a story in the papers these days about these types of incidents and, and people are interested and there is a lot of a lot of coverage, which of course affects our clients. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I'm sure um, most, if not all of those examples will be known to listeners uh, purely because of the significant media attention which, uh, and coverage which followed them. Um, based on your experience, can you offer any insight into um, effective strategies that you've seen businesses deploy in these sorts of situations for uh, dealing with those reputation issues? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is something that businesses can think about in advance. You know, what's the most important thing? to you in these scenarios. Um, one piece that's got talked about quite a lot um, is about the power of putting a face, a human face in the company to this uh, type of incident, often a tragedy, really early on. There was a lot of talk about how Alton Towers managed that. And some may, of course, disagree, but I think, um, the challenge for corporate clients is often they seem cold and remote and shutting up shop and not saying anything. But it's really difficult because there's only so much you can say early on because it's not like a punch up on a street. You don't really know what what's happened and you've got to find it, find it out. Um, another topic kind of linked to that that got talked about after Grenfell was about duty of candor. And that really is about particularly for public companies. Um, is there a, a duty to speak candidly about what has happened and not to get tied up and worried about legal issues? But of course, um, that's easier said than done because often you don't know what has happened and speaking candidly early can mean misinformation. So there's a balancing exercise there. I think what I find um, most effective early on is getting the the case team, the investigation team, all very much linked up. So that's the, the PR specialists um, and advisors, the lawyers, the operational stakeholders in the business, um, and usually somebody from an HR perspective who's thinking about the people impact, if it's particularly if it's a workplace incident, just to make sure everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet. Um, and that really not one of those issues trumps the other. You've got to all work together. And that is the way that I've seen it most sort of effectively managed from a reputational perspective. Yeah, and that very much reflects my experience too. I think from my perspective is very much dealing with the media and, and, and the um, sort of public side of it. Um, and there can, as you say, be this tension between you know, the need to safeguard the investigation process the desire to sort of head off or correct inaccurate media reporting and the desire to say something publicly. And I've, my view is it decisions about what can be said, by whom, 
when, about what should always be uh, channeled through the people who are at the centre of the investigation process. And that, in most cases, that would be health and safety lawyers such as yourself to make sure that nothing is said which can um, prejudice the, the client's position, uh, specifically the investigation. Um, and, you know, in some cases, it just won't be appropriate to challenge media reporting from a legal perspective and it's more of a comms issue and it's but it's as you say it's important to have everyone under the under the same roof as it were working out these issues and and what can be said and who is if something can be said then who best uh, uh who is best to say it um yeah. and um yeah, and but it obviously as you say it's very important to have that eye on the human issue uh, the human element of the of the crisis and, and the need to put put a human face on it um, I also think it's sensible to think about where reputation issues arise from. In the past, we've seen health and safety incidents where um, those who are injured or otherwise impacted by the incident have, have gone out and criticised the the business who is who suffered this incident in the media. Um, and you know, often it's no use trying to trying to challenge that sort of media reporting. Uh, and you know, it may well be that the clients. Uh, energies are better uh, expended actually addressing and, and looking after those people uh, and treating them uh, in a transparent and, and fair manner uh, to prevent them um, going off to the um, going off to the to the press and I think that that's uh, is that is that something you would agree with? Yeah I absolutely do um, I mean I think one thing I would say to clients ahead of time about this is you you can't absolutely control that because um, often that individual is um, angry, is grieving, is hurt, is any number of those things. And this is just part of the process. But I do agree that if there is at least an attempt to provide them with the information that you can so that they know that you're not just shutting up shop as a company, then it, it may uh, be be better. Um, in the instance that we are dealing with uh, fatality um, and therefore dealing with the, the family, which is often not a single unit, there might be split families, different views, etc. Then our communication with them will often be going through a family liaison officer at the police, which is pretty helpful because you have a conduit who can filter information. Um, sometimes it is not that easy. You have an injured party who is not an employee. You might not even have their contact details. So just thinking about how that communication is going to work, but sometimes just accepting that they need to um, make those statements um, and just getting on and dealing with things as responsibly as you can is the is the best thing to do, I think, in those scenarios. You mentioned police, and that's something you, you mentioned earlier, that, that unlike other uh, regulatory issues, perhaps the, the police are often involved in these sorts of of incidents. Um, what additional reputational issues can, can, can flow from this? I think the thing with the police is uh, they are very skilled on these investigations. It's what they do day in, day out, and they are used to the associated media frenzy that that will come with it generally. Um, I think the additional issues are that if the police say something, people believe it. Um, they're a person in uniform and it's taken often as the truth. Um, you will have uh, heard the, the recent, it's obviously not a health and safety incident, but heard about the, the Nicola bully um, investigation um, and the sort of almost like witch hunt that went on in, in the media where people took things into their own hands. And I think 
it's easy for me to judge without knowing all the information, but I think that's probably an example of where pausing to thinking of, to think about what information you release out is useful, despite the pressure that maybe you're going to get from the media or from a, a, a family, because um, if one starts to release information too early, it just can become, uh, you know, a, a, a bit of a, um, it will take it, take a, get legs of its own, I guess. Um, our experience is that um, often the police won't be doing a lot of speaking to the media. Um, it, it's different in that scenario because they didn't have a, a body, they were looking, um, but often that they won't, um, or they'll use their press office to run through the statements. And we have had examples in larger investigations where um, our clients' PR teams have managed to engage with the police PR teams and maybe not a joint statement, but have some kind of liaison that way. But sometimes it's just not possible. Um, I, I actually think that often businesses just have to accept that the statements that are issued are going to have to be fairly bland but actually that doesn't make them irrelevant or unimportant um, showing and saying that you're taking it seriously also thinking about who's going to say that um, that thoughts are with the family or with the injured party and the piece on commitment to cooperation investigating is is actually really important and I think sometimes organizations are trying to say too much um and that can that can backfire and mary this is a topic we could obviously talk about all day but can we conclude with me just asking you um, what your top tips are for clients uh, who may be caught up in major health and safety incidents and who may be concerned about reputational issues yeah absolutely i think firstly um have a plan in place. How are you going to respond if this happens? And it might be similar to health and safety as other crises, but get a plan, which includes your Comcast, comms cascades, your incident teams, um, which stakeholders are going to be involved, what specialists are going to uh, be engaged. Um, secondly, having got that plan, workshop it, practice it, work out where it could go wrong, get people comfortable with it. Um, I think thirdly, prepare your senior team for what an incident like this looks like, particularly that reputational point, just so they know how it feels, um, because that will make it easier if it happens. Um, and finally, I think always think about the internal reputational bit, the internal comms, as well as the external, keeping um, em employee groups who are affected up to date. Um, with information that you can provide them as well as the injured party or the family as we said before I think is really going to be very important in these instances. Mary these are all great insights um, sadly that's all we've got time for but thanks so much for sharing your thoughts today um, this has been a really interesting session. Thanks Henry.